Hello and welcome to the Sleep Like a Baby podcast. If you're new here, I'm Hannah, I'm an infant sleep consultant as well as a mum living and working in South East London and I cover all things sleep and parenting from a holistic, responsive and modern viewpoint. So if you're looking for someone who's going to be honest with you about normal infant sleep and toddler sleep and is not going to tell you that the answer is just to put your baby down, drowsy but awake, leave them to cry it out and follow a generic routine, you're in the right place. Welcome. And you know what? If that more traditional sleep training approach suits you, you're also very welcome here as well. This is a podcast for everyone. And in fact, today's subject really is covering something super, super universal. And that is maternal identity, perfectionism, self-criticism, and just how hard we as mothers can be on ourselves. This is not the first time I've covered this sort of subject. In fact, it's something that comes up in nearly every episode that I've done of this podcast. Uh, That sort of, yeah, high standards that we can, all of us, put on ourselves. Where does that come from? And how can we move through that so that we can give ourselves grace and kindness and forgiveness and all of those gifts that we as mothers really do deserve? Sleep in particular, though, can be something that we use as a measuring stick to judge how good a job we're doing. Not for everyone, but certainly I know lots of people and I've been in this place myself where I thought if I could get my child sleeping how I feel like society wants them to, then I am going to be a good mother. You know, if I can get them into a routine, if I can get them sleeping through the night, if I can break some of those so-called negative sleep associations, if I don't become a sleep crutch, if I read the books and do everything perfectly, then I will be a good mother. Sleep also gave me a sense of control or or made me think I had a bigger sense of control. So if I could get my child down to sleep at the times that the generic schedule that I'd been given said so, then that was good. I was good. I was in control. But the problem with children (laughs) and other human beings in general is that they are their own people and they are not robots and we can't just program them to do exactly what a piece of paper says you know, that they should do when it comes to anything like sleeping, eating, toileting, behaviour, you know, we are talking about an ever-evolving relationship with another human being here rather than kind of, yeah, programming a a robot or training a puppy. So um, there was this sort of uh, misunderstanding, I suppose, of what I thought control was and, you know, becoming a parent is often an experience of lack of control um, and lack of you know, or a huge change to your identity and therefore if you're someone who is really craving that control again or that sense of sort of knowing what you're doing kind of becoming more fixated on how to control sleep can be a way that that anxiety or that um, identity crisis can play out so who better to talk to <laughs> about all of this than uh, a psychotherapist? <laughs> and my guest today is the amazing Catherine Coonahan, who you may already know from her brilliant uh, Instagram account, which I've linked in the show notes. It, she's at Kath Coonahan, and I've also linked uh, to Kath's website as well, so you can find out more about her. Kath is an integrative psychotherapist, so she works in private practice in London and she specialises in complex trauma, perfectionism, nervous system healing, shifting dysfunctional patterns in our families and reparenting. And one of her areas of expertise is how our own childhoods impact on our parenting journey. So her passion is to shift shame and help each of her clients gain an embodied sense of being good enough. And that was a a highlight of this conversation for me actually was talking about what does that good enough really mean we hear it a lot in terms of motherhood and parenting advice but yeah it was really interesting and fascinating to dig a bit deeper into into that whole concept 
And Kath also has her own fantastic podcast, uh, which is called Grow Yourself Up. And I was very, very uh, flattered and privileged to be invited onto that show earlier this year. And we had such an amazing conversation. And I felt like I was talking to someone I'd known for years and years uh, that I just desperately wanted to have another chat with her and bring her onto my podcast. So very grateful that she said yes. So let's get cracking. And here she is. Here is Kath Cunahan. The Sleep Like a Baby podcast is supported by The Octopus Club, the online marketplace where you can buy, sell and give away baby and kid stuff without any hassle. If your home is piling up with toys, clothes and bits of kit that your little one no longer uses, The Octopus Club offers an easy, environmentally friendly way of selling or donating things to other families. And if you're on the hunt for high quality secondhand goods, this is the place for you. Honestly, the stuff on there is gorgeous. Check them out on Instagram or go straight to their website, theoctopusclub.com, to sign up today. Mm, yeah. Okay, here we are. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Hannah. Really happy to be here with you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I just love talking to you uh, so much because uh, you very kindly asked me to be on your podcast, which I loved, and it was such a treat. And so I've been looking forward to catching up again. Oh, that's <laughs> lovely. I know. I think that episode that we that we recorded where we both talked about um, our mums and how we got shut down, that was so... I never really talked about the memories that I shared with you and it was so beautiful I think that interchange no oh, yeah it was really lovely yeah thank you yeah and and so obviously today you know perfectionism is a subject that I think just comes up time and time again whenever we talk about motherhood and um, I know we touched a little bit on that when we spoke last time and I just you had some really lovely thoughts over email as well about how we can kind of continue that conversation and I think yeah, I feel like in every episode, actually, I've ever recorded this podcast, some element of perfectionism comes up in terms of our own expectations and how just the high standards that we as mothers often do hold ourselves to. And yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? It's so much. I think it's just so much. And I think that um, I started off focusing really strongly um, in my sort of client population on um, adult daughters of alcoholics, actually, because they have often very... Um, perfectionism is a huge quality but what I realized as I got further and further into my private practice was that every woman who came through my door was a perfectionist yeah um and I think that it can be we can it, it exists on a continuum and we can be more or less perfectionist depending on what happened in our own family of origin and if we didn't get our needs met for whatever reason mm -hmm. um we're much more of a perfectionist, but but because of the like the water we swim in and the speakers that blare to us that we're second class citizens, women just learn that we have to get things absolutely right. Yeah, and so we we just kind of learn that we're not good enough as we are. That we somehow constantly constantly be going for these unrealistic expectations and um, holding ourselves to these ever changing like shifting goalposts, which mm. is so unrealistic. Yeah. It's like yeah. so punishing. It really is. Yeah. I, I have to say this week. So I was just telling you before we started recording that today is my son's birthday. And I feel like this is for me a season of massive perfectionism coming up because it's really I think from I think whenever your child has a birthday, it makes you reflect and you th you think about their birth. You think about what you were doing this day, however many years ago you think yeah. about how far you've come. You think, I can't believe I have a whatever year old yeah. how did yeah, get exactly. here? <laughs> like oh my goodness um and then there's also like the other levels of like there's a I guess there's a certain elements of performance as well of of the birthday and yes presents cakes parties and for me anyway that's where a lot of wanting it to be perfect in a very obvious way plays up but I think it goes also to these other like very much deeper layers of yeah yeah of, of am I good enough and am I putting so it's just this little milestone that I kind of beat myself up over I don't know and yesterday was so but I was running around like a crazy woman buying inflatable balloons and baking cupcakes and you know oh you're amazing well I don't know though am I because is it necessary to do I mean obviously it's nice to make an effort but I was like but what what am I who am I doing this for I guess obviously for my child but also 
what if I didn't put such a high standard on the birthday and what if actually I just spent time with him got him some toys he liked and relaxed a bit I don't know I I totally understand what you mean and I think that it's really hard because that relaxing a bit and playing and just Mm -hmm. being with is the absolute antithesis of what many of us have been taught to just kind of do 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 and um there's kind of that idea of if I can create this perfect birthday party and all the friends seem like they're having a nice time or the parents have a nice time or whatever, whatever our hopes are, then things will be okay. Yeah. Um, and um, I personally hate kids' birthday parties. <laughs> I'm also having a birthday party for my twins this weekend, so I feel you. I ordered cakes just to yeah. – the idea of baking, I was just like, I can't. Like, I just so can't. I mean, I hate baking. So there I was yesterday making like 24 cupcakes – thinking what am I doing I hate this this is and it was 30 degrees in my flat and I was putting the oven on and, <laughs> it was boiling, wasn't it? and I was like what am I doing I could have just gone to the Morrison's and bought a box yes I know <laughs> and you can customize the icing one of the you best can. things is to customize the icing and put some sprinkles on or something yeah it's so silly <laughs> but I think that this is something that we have to unhook from mm. on a like an ongoing basis and invite in more gentleness and ponder what it is that we're trying to achieve and what we're trying to get away from. Because um, I notice sometimes that I would feel more comfortable trying to perfect a piece of work or even perfect an Instagram post than I would sit on the floor and play something. Because um, often play for me makes me Mm -hmm. feel a bit purposeless and like, what am I achieving? And then that links to lack of safety. Mm -hmm. So all of these things are so complex. There's like so many layers to soothing ourselves um, so that we can move a bit away from the perfectionism into just being a bit more. It's mm-hmm. it's like the most unsimple shift ever, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, how do we do that? <laughs> Step-by-step <laughs> instructions, please. <laughs> I'm also still waiting for those, you know. I'm such a perfectionist that if someone would just give me the, the steps of exactly how to do that, I would do that perfectly, and then at least I could feel peace at the end. But I think it's much messier than that in, real, in like, real life. Um, I mean, I think that if we try and have a really serious answer to that question, all the perfectionism research shows that it's very much about how our needs were met as children and how we were not seen in our full, authentic selves. And that happens for many reasons. Some of the most common things are is that we don't have our negative affect held for us. So we get sent away. I think we talked about this, but we get sent away when we're having big feelings or what is termed bad feelings, you know, like when we're angry and raging or bored or just being how our parents don't like. And I mean, I think there's a lot of that with childhood. Like children can be really, there's a lot of rage. They like really can be really grumpy sometimes and really difficult. And it's it's hard to hold that. Um, but it's really life-changing when we just model for the child I'm still with you in all of that um, because I think many of us basically got the message, you're a pain in the neck when you're having those feelings, like off you go. And so we really try and um, we we treat ourselves like that, kind of like, I mean, you know, basically we're trying to abandon ourselves. But so if we kind of go right back to that, the soothing ourselves and the being with ourselves even when we're being a perfectionist, so sort of to notice, oh yeah, there's me doing that thing again that I do around birthdays, kind of bless me, like dear little me is really trying so hard to make everything wonderful. And there is so much beauty, I think, in celebrating and in being present for our children around their birthdays. So like, why not? And it can be done in a way that's really actually loving for ourselves and takes into account our own capacity. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I guess it- I was just thinking there's these two le- levels levels there isn't there because it's like there's me trying to create this like sort of perfect birthday experience and then there's me also then beating myself up for trying to create the perfect but so it's just like two sticks I'm kind of yeah. attacking myself with. exactly <laughs> yeah be a bit kinder to yourself <laughs> yeah give ourselves some grace because yeah I think in some ways like I certainly have to thank perfectionism in my life for it's got me certain places. It's helped me do really well in certain areas. And it's just that it gets to be a bit much because it's really actually self-attacking. And um, we really abandon ourselves in that process because we often push ourselves way beyond um, like what we can even physically cope with, but we so sort of disconnected from ourselves. 
and so that that beating ourselves up is so familiar like what you just said about the stick of like oh why am I doing this again and I have found the easiest way to soften that is to to catch it because often we don't even catch it until much later or kind of notice but in those moments to have some humor with ourselves and to kind of um because it's hard when we're being a people pleaser as well to kind of reflect on this might be um like not as good as I'm hoping, what will that actually mean? And in reality, I think particularly for children's parties, the kids just care about like playing a few games and maybe some music and some cake. Um, and that's all they care about. But like, I often think, oh, I need all these balloons or I need like super fancy cake or I need, um, I mean, one of my twins, like I always try and get them presents that they'll like, but one of my twins is very, I don't know, she's got some stuff around always wanting to have more stuff she never seemed sort of satisfied and she said at her birthday this year she was like um is that all she actually said was and my other twin was much more like kind of kind of gracious and happy with what she got and I could go down a road of thinking oh you're such a brat or oh I'm a terrible mother because why are you saying that sort of thing or I've got terrible presents but I just know there's actually something about her and it's linked to some of her history and just how she is and um I chose not to make that mean that it wasn't perfect, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's really interesting about how you could yeah, be be so gracious to yourself in that moment because I think a lot of people, I think most parents would think, oh God, I, I, that's, yeah, like you're saying, how could you say that to me or what have I done wrong? Or And actually, you haven't done anything wrong. No, I haven't done anything wrong. And neither has she really. I mean, it is. it does sound ungrateful, but um, she's maturing in certain ways and she hasn't quite got there. And yeah. um, I think one of the most important things about parenting is letting our children show us their kind of, their, um, their like not so nice bits. Yeah, that's, that's it. It's raw, isn't it? It's just, it's unfiltered and it's coming out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and And I hope she doesn't say that to other people and I hope she learns in time that it's not that useful to kind of do that. <laughs> but, yeah. But... but me shaming her um, in that moment wouldn't help. And I think that what we often don't talk about enough with perfectionism and which Brene Brown does go on about a lot as well, is that um, shame is the other side of perfectionism. So we're trying to get everything perfect because actually we have this core of not feeling good enough. And having that touched is so painful. It's like, devastating when you feel when I feel like I've got something wrong and I kind of go into a child place that feeling of shame is so painful like it's such a, a visceral body experience that we just want to do everything to prevent that you know and so that's why we also have to be so tender with ourselves about the perfection because we're trying to avoid our shameful yeah and I see that in young children that desire to please that desire to fit in <sighs> it's so pure and it's so lovely and <sighs> when you tap into that part of yourself your own inner child it just I find that just devastatingly just so sweet and lovely and but heartbreaking as well that we can't yeah that we've learned to sort of ignore that part of ourselves and 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 for shame to sort of take over I suppose yeah yeah, yeah. and and the the reparenting that we can do for ourselves around that mm. is so um so special I mean like I'm, I'm I'm really with you in the birthday party thing because we're having this party on the weekend and um it's not really big enough to have it here where we are where we live so I've hired a village hall but I've never seen the village hall and I'm like having a panic attack about what do I buy to decorate the walls do I have to buy a lot of whole, whole of things and how am I going to stick it up and will it be okay and what if it's all just bare walls and mm -hmm. um will I remember to buy some balloons and 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 then I was sort of noticing and what if it's just totally bare like does yeah. that matter None of the kids are going to be looking up there. I can get some balloons and it'll be fine. But I have to really soothe myself and notice um, all these things that I'm setting up to create something. Like for what purpose? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because there's actually going to be an entertainer. So the entertainer will entertain the kids. So they will probably literally not give a shit about anything on the walls. <laughs> no, Do you know what I mean? No, I hate yeah. to swear on your podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. Yeah, they won't. They they could not care less, and that's not what you remember from your birthday party no, either, is it? Yeah, no, exactly. And I'm much more interested in actually 
everyone feeling like they're having a nice time and like giving the parents like a nice cup of tea and a, a pastry or something and introducing them to each other so they can have a nice time because I don't like going to those parties where you all stand around like a bunch of lemons watching your like children I want people to interact you know yeah 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 do you know what I was thinking I was really curious I suppose about you having twins um and I wonder how that impacts your perfectionism because obviously as a mother because obviously you've got two children developing at the same time having very similar experiences and parenting and does it make you feel a bit kinder to yourself sometimes when you realize that actually I've done this this thing the same way and they have had you know they're just different people and it's not all it's not all on me I don't know (laughs) no it does and I also really want to say it's not all on us because um it really is not all on us. There's so much stuff that we carry. Um, I did some training with an expert in developmental trauma, and he talked about how his definition of developmental trauma was so interesting to me. He said that um, anything that is a minimum of two generations back mm-hmm. and up till 25 is what he considers developmental trauma, which means that um, – we are impacted by so many things that happened before we were even born. So we kind of can't take responsibility for that. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important because I think, especially perfectionists, we do like a lot of research on lots of things and we, and then all comes back and we just dump this big mother blame on ourselves. And I think that's important, but yes, to go to your question, I um, absolutely, I, because I'm going to that bucket of blaming everything on myself and thinking, because I'm me that they like this or blah 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 or I'm anxious and so that's why they're anxious or one of them is much more anxious than the other one um and I've really had to step back and notice that one of them they are very different actually um and they bring up different things in me so I relate differently to them because of um I think one of them um makes me feel and she doesn't make me feel it triggers in me a feeling of I'm not somehow doing this right um, because she's got more struggles in some areas. And the other one um, seems to be much more loving and accepting of me. And so that triggers something different in me. So it's so complex what our children trigger in us, but yes, it does help me think um, like to myself, okay, angel, like you're doing the best you can for both of them. And like, we can only ever we are all we have, if you know what I mean. So we can't kind of endlessly beat up on ourselves and think we're rubbish because that just makes things worse for us. And even if we do need to change, but like I sometimes think I do need to shout less or, um, but I'm only going to do that through a portal of self-compassion. Anyway, I feel like I rambled a bit there, sorry. No, I was just, I was just thinking, I was just taking a minute to reflect because I think everything you've said is is really important and, I was I was having a thought the other day about perfectionism and thinking you know we we talk a lot about social media being a major contributor to that sense of like oh to, to I suppose to people's high standards but actually I think social media maybe just amplifies that but what you said about that being those like childhood wounds and those that internal shame that's actually the root of that perfectionism you know in the sense that it it has existed for a long time before Instagram (laughs) and and, you know and I think we can kind of look at me like well mothers today are are too hard on themselves because they've got too many media things around them but actually it runs like you're saying a lot lot deeper it runs a lot deeper yeah it really does and yes social media maybe highlighted it because we've got if someone posts a beautiful picture of their like fabulous birthday party and you're yeah. just like, oh God, I've got this like shitty, crunchy birthday party. <laughs> it's just terrible. You know, we could beat ourselves up with that. But the reality is, is that um, it, it, all of the stuff existed before social media. And, yeah. and actually I think social media has helped in many ways because we find other people and, um, and they go, Oh yeah, I also have that. And then, and then we look at ourselves and we go, oh, I'm I'm like, I'm really lovely just the way I am, actually, because I think that person over there is lovely. And she's got some of the same stuff as me. So therefore, I'm lovely. And then, like, together, we can change things. Yeah. Like, even that we're talking about perfectionism and that that we can both, like, welcome in a bit more imperfection, that mm-hmm. ripples out so much in our yeah. communities, um, like with your friends, your sisters, your followers, whoever, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely think 
yeah I mean social media has its its drawbacks for sure but definitely like if I see people who yeah are a bit more real and yeah doing things similar to me or differently to me but they're happy it does make me feel it makes me feel better and gives me a bit yeah gives me a bit of a lets me give myself a bit of a break sometimes yeah yeah especially the humanness around motherhood you know that it's really hard and that like we've never talked before about how some of us might sometimes think god why did I do this or am I fit for this job or like I'm a terrible mother or I should never have got these people and even just normalizing I'm not even normalizing but just saying yeah I sometimes feel like that too so it takes us out of that like loop of endless self-criticism yeah 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 the the what have I done have I ruined my life I'm not made for this that is such a a a huge wound isn't it to carry but so many well I think almost every parent has had that moment I think I say I'm confidently but I'm sure that they have I sometimes think, I mean, I, I don't want to say this because I can't tell people what the experience is, but I sometimes think everyone has to have had that feeling, but maybe some people just push it down really far so they dissociate from it because it feels too threatening to acknowledge it. Um, but I remember reading some research. I think it's, I don't know where I read, I think it was Rick Hansen who said that, um, no, some other psychologist, I think, but basically that the research shows that parents are, shown to be less happy actually but they have other criteria um they have a lot more meaning in their lives and they have um a lot of really rich relationships and so those even though the happiness dips in like the the years of early parenting they have a lot more meaning so and I sometimes hold on to that because um there is too much meaning and and often motherhood is just such a huge growth period for us Mm -hmm. yeah and sometimes you don't want another growth opportunity. Um, <laughs> enough of growth opportunities. <laughs> yeah. I've grown enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can I have a year of not growing? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I think that's re- that's refreshing to hear. <laughs> I mean, when do you think you realised you were a perfectionist or a people pleaser? When did that kind of start to fall into place for you? Um quite a long time ago <laughs> I'm so I'm 47 now so I started doing um well I mean I mean I, I, I guess the reason that I am very passionate about uh, families with this alcoholism because my father was an alcoholic and um and I started going to a, a group uh, like a um a 12-step fellowship called Al-Anon which was for adult children and partners of alcoholics and um I realized that I was a I think maybe I realized, yeah, but I guess in my early 20s, my late teens and early 20s, um, and I knew that that would be a big issue in motherhood, but I had to go back and do a whole lot more work to let go of perfectionism and control specifically. And people pleasing. I mean, I think those three go really well together or kind of they're very linked because it all links to our own safety. You know, all of these are adaptations that we develop in our family of origin to manage the situation we're growing up in because if your parents can't for whatever reason like see you and fully hold you emotionally you it's like so important to remain in contact with your caregiver so we as the child shape shift to be how we think our parents need us to be like they don't ever come downstairs and say you need to get everything right but it's kind of in those things like if you break something or if you spill something or when you make mistakes if that can't be held by in your family, we learn we have to be really perfect. Um, so, yeah, I, I realized a long time ago, like probably 27 years ago or something. Oh, it's so heartbreaking, isn't it, though? Because just, yeah, just thinking about little kids like this and, and yourself and you just think it's, yeah, it's a lot, isn't it, for a little person? It is a lot for a little person. And I, I always, it's always difficult. It's, like it's, I think it's really difficult to sometimes have these conversations because there's so much nuance when we're thinking about ourselves and our own childhoods. And then when we're also trying to shift patterns in our own families, and there's such a tendency to want to get that perfect, that shifting, and to be completely different to our parents. But I think we have to have so much gentleness around that, that we can only do... Um, you know what we can do and 
I think I said this on my own podcast a couple of weeks that I am not an alcoholic and I don't hit my children. And those are both things that happened in my family. So that might be enough, you know? Um, and so just your listeners can think about just like one thing, because otherwise there's that tendency with the perfectionism hat on to think, right, I've got to like do all this like magic work to totally transform stuff. And that's way too much pressure for us in one generation. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Yeah. Especially if you've come from um, that kind of upbringing and it's not, and I'm, and I'm really sorry that that was your, that was your experience, but it's also not un, super unusual either, is it? And that's very common. That's what I'm in. And not to just not to invalidate that experience, but you know, how many of us are walking around with these sorts of uh, experiences and, and, and then Honestly, I think nearly everyone. Yeah. 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 Really, I mean, dysfunction happens for alcoholism is just one of the many reasons and and it can be overwork it can be just emotional immaturity it can be a mother who's completely disconnected from herself there's so many reasons that we become perfectionist um that it's exceptionally widespread yeah yeah and I know that before like when we were talking over email we, we spoke a little bit about how how sleep can be a big part of that or how yeah it can it can play out around um that whole area was that your experience like what was what what was sleep like for you and your twins um so because I retrained as a psychotherapist before I had my kiddies um Mm. I knew that I wanted to be very responsive and I knew how much it was tied to child development and I also knew about infant development that we had very unrealistic expectations Mm. But because we had twins, um, there's also a lot of focus in the twin world about trying to get them to sleep at the same time yeah. and um, in trying to control things because it feels so out of control because you do have two of them and it really feels like a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> um, and so I tried to be very responsive mm-hmm. um, and I think it sent me a little bit crazy because mm. I... I I kind of couldn't do everything um and it, I also felt at some point am I doing this wrong because the the messages from society that you get about sleep are so like about infant sleep are so unrealistic from a developmental point of view first of all but you kind of just get this download like I remember the NCT group I was in all that I didn't actually do NCT it was another group but there was an um lots of people had bought a book which gave them like a routine they had to stick to But what that meant was that they had to leave the babies to cry because you Mm -hmm. can't just tell a baby, right, you're going down at 12 till 2. That's your slot. Off you go. (laughs) Like, whatever. It doesn't work. And um, and I sort of, I didn't do that, but there was a lot of, um, I sort of thought, am I like a bit of a Muppet? Have I missed the boat somehow? Like, what, am I doing something wrong? But we really stuck to our guns. And what happened naturally is that, because initially we just let them both sleep whenever they wanted and kind of really had two schedules going on. And then we did try and get them a bit closer together um, in terms of sleeping at the same time. Um, but, and they did actually naturally fall into a routine, maybe like about sort of seven or eight months where they would have seven, three naps a day. Um, but sleep has always required a lot of input from us. Um, and I think that, you know, we sleep best in safety which means for a small baby and for children, actually, and for many of us as adults, it means having other people around so that they can co-regulate with us and calm our nervous system and just be a presence for us. And my girls are seven now and um, they have different rooms now, but so I sit outside or my husband sits outside their room and kind of talks to them. And sometimes I'll go and lie with one of them, but then the other one needs the other parent because it's very competitive in the twin worlds like if yeah. mommy's next door then they're like the other one shouts what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> can imagine. Yeah, that's a bit complex and um, but yeah I mean the twin world it was I remember I did go to a sleep talk once because I was like oh this is interesting um I'll go along and and they said things like if they vomit don't look them in the eye just change their sheets and leave and I remember actually just wanting to burst into tears because that's promoting such abandonment of the child. Um, but 
I do like I, I wish we need more support from others because it's impossible to function when you're like completely exhausted. So I think that the structure of our society has made things like sleep training appealing because there is an element of control, which even though it's an illusion, um, does seem to make you feel better um, because it's hard to maintain that position of connection all the time without thinking. Um, like I sometimes still think, have I been too responsive? You know, like yeah, it's really tricky. Yeah, it is. I I think it just sleep training is just this perfect sort of response to all of these layers of yeah of of families not having support of the like you said the illusion of control of the pressure you know the fi- financial pressures you know of getting back to work and yeah. not having like in a very practical sense you know lots of people feel like they don't have a choice a lot of the time yeah. you know that, that this is really you know if they need they want to function and and then I think it just adds to this other layer though because of the messaging around it and the shame around a lot of the behaviors because essentially it is sort of saying what your instinct is saying is wrong and that that feeds that internal shame and that sort of perfectionism that so many mothers then have and yes and And it it says you can't trust yourself you can't trust yourself absolutely untrue yeah Yeah. because regardless of how you feel about self-settling or whatever or babies being on a routine or what but like the the things about not giving your baby eye contact when they're vomiting that's that's such an extreme um thing and that is a thing that I think that no like very few you know no well-adjusted or reason like normal person would ever want to deny their child was would be eye contact when they are in a state of such distress that they're being sick so I think you know, I, I know that sleep training means different things to different people, but at its core is, is this message that like you really don't know what you're doing and 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 we do. And um but it's just very stressful then because it just plays into that insecurity and, and it's very profitable. Like people make so much money. And I always say that I mean I mean I picked the wrong side because I could be <laughs> very very wealthy if I'd gone for the other side no it's true and I mean I I think there's a lot of stuff where you pay someone and then you leave actually you go out of the house but the reason you're going out of the house is because it's so distressing um and I think it's like there's no there's no like neat answer to this because what we really need is to help people understand how problematic sleep is in terms of sleeping through that's a fantasy that's babies and small children like there are some children who do that but it's not that many and that we need so much more early years support um for families instead of spending so much money on i don't know what are they spending money on in the uk they should be spending money on um parenting support and like physical support in the in the home for the mother or the or the father who's ever the primary caregiver yeah it just it just i just sometimes i think how much more hard evidence do we need that says you know the years of like naught to five are crucial for you know I just feel like that's we all know this now and yet we're still not funding you know in fact yeah the last uh 20 years of seeing the sure starts um uh centers defunded closed down all of those things um and you know whenever you just I hear all the time when I listen to podcasts, radio, read articles about all these experts saying actually naught to five, we really need to get onto this. And then just the actual the in practice, it's it's not happening, is it, at all? No. It seems to take a long time for for like research to filter down to actual policy change. Yeah. And sometimes I feel quite cynical because it, like when we are disconnected from ourselves, um, and when we learn to kind of minimize and shut down we make amazing workers so sometimes I feel like it works for capitalism to do this type of thing in childhood because we just become overworkers who are constantly trying to get everything perfect basically yeah definitely you know if we don't connect our children yeah and I think as well like these messages around unrealistic expectations of infant behavior particularly around sleep is that even if you um choose not to sleep train you still then end up carrying a lot of that shame and perfectionism, even though, like you were saying, like, then you worry I'm being too responsive or have I made a rod for my own back or I'm, 
you know we were just talking before we started recording about feeding to sleep for example and like okay I've made this decision but oh there's this thing in the back of my mind that this is terrible and so it just it, it really filters through doesn't it so yeah. to, to to the whole cultural kind of expectation of motherhood it really does and uh, yeah I mean in the last I, I can't remember if it was two weeks ago or three weeks ago I had two clients in the same week so with both with newborn babies say to me um they literally said to me and, and their posture changed as well when they said it they said to me um oh yeah I'm feeling to sleep and then they both dropped their head like that and said but I know that I shouldn't do that and I watched their posture and I was look I could actually see the shame come over them because shame is quite a collapsed position in our in our bodies we kind of round our shoulders and drop our heads and I said to both, we kind of explored with, with both of them about um, if you want to feed to sleep, that's absolutely your prerogative. Like, go ahead. And and do you want, like, does this align with your values? And for both of them, they absolutely wanted to do that. But somehow they thought that I might have something to say about that. And they said that their health visitors had said, um, so they were in the UK, that that was, like, um, not a good idea and, and so I was so happy to see your post last week um, talking about that and talking about all the chemicals that get released to make it both, pe- both, pe- both people more sleepy because that's so shame-busting, you know, that's sort of information that you share. And and so, you know, people can do this or they cannot do this, but we need information to help people understand that it's like a wonderful choice for both of them, actually. I really love that post. Thank you. Yeah, and I, you know, whenever I talk about feeding to sleep I'm always shocked and I shouldn't be shocked but how by by the shame that comes up and how many people are saying like god thank you I I didn't know I thought this was I, I didn't know there were actually any benefits to this I thought this was just yeah. like a um yeah I was being weak I was being lazy <gasps> I was like you know choosing the easier option or and like I know I'm making a problem for myself and it just it really blows my mind because I think that's so I, I've had that feeling as well and like it's such it really robs you of what could be a really joyful yeah. pure moment um yeah. whether you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding or whatever you know of just seeing your baby get a bit milk drunk and sleepy and settle in your arms what a lovely moment you know oh, that yeah. that can be it's not always that blissful obviously <laughs> <laughs> so, you know I've also had some stressful feed to sleep moments or epic yeah. hour long two hour long sessions but there are there can be really nice and yeah you know it's just it's just uh yeah it just it's really crazy that that message and I was talking to someone yesterday about like where has that come from you know like how did it get so ingrained in us that that was a bad thing because you could go to another culture and it's just like totally normal and no one would ever think that was a problem no exactly I agree with you and it, it absolutely breaks my heart I actually feel like I'm getting tears in my eyes thinking about all of us dear mums thinking um like I'm bad or I'm weak or I'm taking the easy way out because it's absolutely such a beautiful experience. And it's so, um, like there are so many hard moments in motherhood, like so much pain actually. So these beautiful connecting moments when there's all these lovely hormones floating around and everyone's, you know, feeling connected, like we really should actually magnify those instead of denigrating them and saying you're being weak. Yeah, totally. Because feeding can be really difficult I think even like bottle feeding, breastfeeding, most people have some form of feeding challenge or it can be really yeah. stressful to establish, figure out what works for your baby, what works for you. So yeah, when we get these moments of joy to then not even be allowing ourselves, yeah, those ple- that yeah, to, to, that's so messed up. Yeah, it's true. It is so messed up. And I think that I always am interested in um, the kind of societal piece around this. And I'm sure that there's something around um, pushing formula and um, which is very necessary in many cases but pushing so like a, because it's much easier to control that that's got much more money in it as a business than like the magic of breast milk I mean I wasn't actually able to breastfeed so that's I know we talked about that too actually but I think um, that yeah it's so we have to really kind of take back our individual power within our families and do what works for us really unapologetically and bravely and celebrate ourselves for that whatever that is 
but that's the thing like and um what I tried to do in that post was highlight that there are like other influences at play there are people that do profit and all this capitalism does also function better if if we can stay in this state of shame where we can sort of tell women they're not doing it right like there is there are these much bigger systems there reinforcing yes. that message when um when Aptamil has an advert on on television for for its milk and it shows the dad doing the night feed that's very much like a intent like they've they've done that very specifically yeah. to to show you know and that not, not the time again dad's doing night feed I think that's wonderful but you know it just it just shows that it just taps into all of those fears of like why breastfeeding was would be wrong and why that would be a, a shameful thing for some people and then it puts so much pressure, you know, there's so much pressure on it. I don't think pressure. I think there are some, some women do experience a lot of like, well, you are going to breastfeed, you will breastfeed. There's all this information about how important it is, how amazing it is. And, you know, and certainly in, when I had my son, there was a lot, every midwife was like, oh, you are, you are going to try, aren't you? And then there's no support. So again, it's another system that lets you down because, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they sell it to you <laughs> as this great thing. And then if it's not working out, who do I go to? Oh, absolutely no one. <laughs> so, no, exactly. Yeah. And then we take on board more shame the, because the problem gets pushed into us and individualized. Meanwhile, we need much more. We need like IB, what, what is that? Um, IBCLCs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. More widely available. And yeah. because I think that both my sisters could really breastfeed amazingly, but one of them particularly did a lot of hard work um, to learn, like, to, she, I mean, she was like lots of bleeding nipples for weeks and terrible things, but eventually kind of worked. And so many people dedicate so much energy and time to it. Um, and it's another thing that sort of says it's supposed to be easy. And actually it's not, it's, it's a, like a big learned thing for both the baby and the mom. Yeah. It's really complex. I suppose so many so much of them of stuff around motherhood though is this idea of like natural being innate and effortlessly effortless yeah. so whether that's breathing your baby out in a water birth surrounded by candles and just you know <laughs> that that sort of myth and or not that's a myth obviously some people have births like that but that's the sort of gold standard I think for a lot of women or you know the um not having any fertility issues you know that you know there's shame around infertility there's shame around how you give birth there's shame around how you feed your baby all of those things and these ideas that these are all natural things and therefore yeah if you don't if they aren't coming naturally to you if you're a perfectionist that's just like well that's that's catastrophic isn't it yeah exactly there's all those opportunities to beat up on ourselves because we and and isn't it interesting because you've listed all those different areas and as perfectionists, it's not like we take our own standards and go, you know, what I've chosen is good enough. We take these like external magical made up things to kind of hold ourselves up against and um, and then just beat ourselves up relentlessly. And it's so powerful to have sort of conversation like this, because then together we can stand up, kind of stand up and go like, no, get away perfectionism, get away capitalism standards or whatever like we're not going to do that yeah yeah because I'm now in the sort of like the healthcare system again with this with my second pregnancy I'm finding it really different but then I noticed some old like habits creeping in of people pleasing and saying yes and I'm trying this time to advocate for myself a bit better just in the sense of just asking more questions not necessarily being difficult for the sake of it, but just asking questions, figuring out if that's the right thing for me, something I would have never done with my first pregnancy. Um, but it is, it's so uncomfortable. I absolutely can't bear it. I just want to come into an, into an appointment and be a good girl and go away. Yeah. I think it wasn't she easy. And yeah, oh, I totally so understand. Difficult. Yeah, so it's just like, that's so brilliant. I love hearing that because you know what the thing is is if we can just tolerate some of our own discomfort, yeah, and soothe ourselves and be present with ourselves in it, we can bring about so much change because it's our own body, it's our own sensations often. Um, what well, is our own sensations that scream out to us like this is not safe? But actually, you are safe. No midwife or no one. I mean, someone someone might shout at you, God forbid. I hope they don't. But you know, you can shout right back. 
if they do <laughs> and you know what it's been fine and actually I've had some brilliant conversations with people and it's not been half as awkward or uncomfortable as I thought it would be and some really yeah positive things have come from it but it just it feels so uncomfortable and I hate it (laughs) yeah but that's so empowering I mean I bet some of the people listening to this will be really taking that on board and thinking I can do that too it's brilliant I guess it's just knowing isn't it that other people like might be doing things but it's still hard like yeah that it's you can push yourself out of that comfort zone that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong like because something feels difficult doesn't mean you're doing it wrong I suppose yeah exactly and in fact it because for for black people pleasers one of the most like when push comes to shove and we're actually at that choice point where we change behavior that our own um body will be giving us so many messages of don't do this don't do this don't do this just please just be easy don't be the difficult one and we even label us you said I don't want to be a difficult person and I'm like bring it on be the difficult one do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, it's my body <laughs> no, exactly. it's, it's your body it's your baby and if we can just be with ourselves enough tolerate that discomfort and I often sweat you know, if, if if I'm getting flustered or I sweat on my nose, then I'm like, oh, God, they can see that I'm flustered and everything. <laughs> and we sort of just have to kind of get through that, be with our humanity. And, and then we've done it. And then we get so good at practicing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. And I think these things just, yeah, motherhood and everything, it just brings up such deep stuff. So sometimes I've had appointments where I've suddenly had this urge to cry and I have no idea what I would even be crying about. Isn't isn't it amazing how, yeah, your body can just bring up these experiences and sort of try to, well, I guess your body isn't trying to shut you down, but I take that as a sign to stop being difficult. Like it's too much, you're getting overwhelmed. And, And I guess going back to like our children and how overwhelmed they get and how that pattern might have been to shut away from those big feelings how that's then coming up it's really it's it's yeah it's intense yeah and and those poor moments are probably actually when you need the most support and to let the tears come yeah yeah I always think it's really interesting as well talking to people from who've grown up in different cultures as well because I blame a lot of this on Britishness but obviously you didn't grow up here in the UK so (laughs) oh yeah but I grew up in South Africa and there's a lot of Britishness yeah that's true actually yeah I went to a boarding school which is very British as well so you've you've inherited the the very worst (laughs) I think this is western culture I think yeah yeah I think it's kind of and it's all guided by Britain because if you think of colonialism and the history it's kind of Britain, Australia, Canada, the US, lots of. Yeah, and actually, and I, I lived in Australia for a, a few years as a child and went to a very, very British influenced school there. And I would say that was my most British experience of yes, my whole childhood. Exactly, exactly. Because in South Africa, we were like a colonial outpost. So I think that people pride themselves on Britishness. If you yeah. Know what I mean. so, yeah, yeah. So, so the schools are kind of striving for that in a way, which is, you know, so they're striving for disconnection really in some way. Yeah. Gosh, we've got a lot to answer for the UK. <laughs> a lot to answer for. It's uh, yeah. We could go but, down a rabbit hole. On that I know that's a whole other episode. <laughs> let's just let's not let's not go there. I don't. A lot of the sleep stuff, I think, was coming back to perfectionism. Is this idea of how 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 much so many of us would love to just go into that baby group on a Wednesday morning and just say, "My baby slept through the night last night," and hoping that other people will think wow you must have it together that's amazing tell me your secrets I guess is that a big part of it I think that is a big part of it because then we get we get reflected back to us you're okay yeah um and and the reality is is we are all okay we are all wonderful yeah wonderful treasured beings but We've relied so much on that external um, validation. We've we've learned we have to be a certain way. So we have to be getting things perfect, getting things right, achieving, pleasing others, mm. um, not being emotionally messy. We've learned all of those things. So motherhood challenges all of that. It's like mm. completely out of control. It's emotionally messy. Even if you've repressed your feelings really well your whole life, it's almost impossible not to have your feelings burst into technicolor in yes. motherhood. You know That's so true. Um, and so then going into that baby group feels like if those other moms just think I'm like a good enough mom, then maybe my shame core is not actually true and I am good enough. But the real work is actually undoing our shame core and learning that we are good enough and that 
we're good enough regardless of whether our baby sleeps through or does not sleep through or does not eat or does eat. I mean, you, what you said about sleeping, I'm sorry, about eating as well. We had so many eating challenges and it, it is so difficult not to make it up like somehow I'm failing, but we're not failing. We're not failing and soothing ourselves and being kind to ourselves and, um, and finding people who kind of honor our experience and let us be um, our real selves so important because because going to those mom groups where everyone's like says their baby sleeps through then I don't know I just was like oh man I'm definitely not I don't belong here because I'm getting something really wrong here then you've 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 used the the term good enough a lot there and I remember hearing a bit about how you just have to be good enough as a mother and obviously there's a lot that's a a key message right that we um but I also remember a few years ago feeling like good enough just what that isn't enough I want to be great you know like isn't like good enough sounds a bit rubbish almost and I want to be brilliant actually I don't want to be good enough I want to be spectacular at this you know I want to be the best and I think that's um that's difficult isn't it understanding that good enough is is actually the best is actually Yeah. yeah I totally agree with you. Yeah. I also used to think good enough. Like, what the hell is that? I don't want to be good enough. Yeah. It Who wants a good enough option? Yes, it sounds like really crap. Um, but it is like because the thing is, is, is part of actually guiding our children is teaching them that all relationships have ruptures, and so so noticing that we have ruptures, not going away from that, not sweeping it under the carpet, like owning our part in things, apologizing to them. It's so reparative. It's so. Um, like I'm sure if you have with your son, if you apologize to him and you kind of say, oh, I was grumpy or I was cross, their little faces soften and you can see how much they feel seen. And that connection is so, like that reconnection after rupture is so profound and so that helps build resilience. So I think that if we are too busy being spectacular, first of all, we're disconnected a lot of the time because we're so busy focused on our performance. And then that teaches our children that they are only okay when they're being spectacular. Um, but I agree with you. It's a hard thing to hold. Um, it's it's hard to, I find it like when I've had moments of disconnection with my kids or um, when, when I realized the impact of something I did on one of them or something, it, it feels really hard to soothe myself through that sometimes. Mm, yeah. And I think that's a practice and a process. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an important thing to remember, isn't it? That it's, it's part of the work, I guess, that we do. And yeah, but that's so lovely to, it's always so reassuring when you, when you, when I'm reminded that actually messing up and then repairing that rupture with my child is actually beneficial for us, but for us both really, you know, that, you know, and that, yeah, that it is sort of releasing them from the, the bonds of perfectionism and, you know, that, that, yeah that mum or dad who are, or whoever they are imperfect as well and I can be imperfect and still yeah. seen and loved and valued and that is yeah. like what an amazing gift you could give to a child yeah exactly just because you know you were <laughs> tired and cranky and <laughs> snapped because yeah, exactly. of something you know it's yeah it's life it's the actual absolute antidote to perfectionism because what we learned was you're not okay when you're not getting things perfect and it's just that exhausting burden it's so much self-attack and self-abandonment. So like I always think the most beautiful message is if we can teach our child that all of them and all their parts are welcome. And we do that by modeling that we are all our parts and all of us is welcome. I mean, and that again is, and it sounds very simple when I say it like that. It's kind of messy work in the trenches of one's own family. Yeah, but you're right because saying to a child, it's okay, you can be angry, you can have big feelings and then not doing that for yourself that's that's not going to yeah. mean anything like that's yeah. you're just reading a script from whatever and that's I'm sure that's that's fine but yeah it's it's the other side of the work isn't it that of, of reparenting ourselves and yeah modeling it oh god it's so hard isn't it <laughs> it is hard yeah it is. yeah um but so but thank you so much for this because there's just been so much to think about and reflect on and you know, I think wherever anyone is at at this stage, you know, we're listening to this right now. I'm sure there'll be things here that they relate to, you know, that it, that this is sort of an, like you're saying an ongoing process at, at different stages of your, your parenthood experience, isn't it? It's just yeah, different things come up at different times and yeah. And trust, starting to really trust ourselves. 
and knowing that we'll have mistakes, but that's okay. Thank you so much. Great pleasure. Uh, and yeah, and so if anyone wants to know more about you and your work, I'll put various links to your website and everything in our show notes. And yeah, and obviously people can find you on Instagram as well. Um, so I'll include all the, all the links to that. Thank you. Yes, I changed my handle to my name recently. You did. I love that. I love that. I really. I mean, I think that that I thought that's a great, um, yeah, perfection. Like, as in, like, yeah, not hiding yourself and being like, here I am. This is who I am. I'm not hiding behind a name. With I'm my not- surname that no one can pronounce, but yes, yeah. <laughs> but here I am, and yeah, yeah, I love it. I think that's great. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. It's been very joyful. We've laughed a lot. <laughs> it really has been very joyful. So thank you, oh, and good. and resourcing for me as well. Thank you.